This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Good day to everybody out there in disaster, the disaster diva landscape. This is your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And uh, Amanda Smith. I don't know why I forgot. <laughs> I just, I had like a brief moment where I was like, is there more that I'm supposed to say? And then I remembered I have a last name. <laughs> Always a weird thing to like goof up on the thing that's easiest to remember. Yeah, it was, I was just like, I just had that moment. I was like, it feels incomplete. And then I remembered that I'm not a share I have a last name, <laughs> a generic though it may be. Yeah, and hey. it it at this point on the Otsterion podcast, it's like it's like a furniture item that Sam like doesn't remember how to do the intro each episode and we start anew. So like that's you know, it, intros are tough. Famously difficult intros. Oh man. Yeah, that one was just a struggle for me this morning. Uh so anyway, hey guys. Yes, hello all. Um today we have gone back to the classics. We have gone back to the um the the infancy of the disaster movie um, with City on Fire, starring such legends as Leslie Nielsen, Henry Fonda, and we'll get to my rage later. Yes. Uh, Shelley Winters. The also, Shelley Winters. Ava fucking Gardner. Doing a tr- You're tr- absolutely right. Ava Gardner is in this movie. Yeah. So... Uh, Jordan, you want to do a quick, like, what's this movie about? Sure. Uh, City on Fire is about, um, I don't think we're given a specific city no, that they, this is. No, they keep made it up city. intentionally, city. they never say the name, yeah. they keep it intentionally vague, and we'll get to why they do that. Um, but yeah, they, they specifically, even the cars don't have the name of the city on it. Okay, yeah, I was looking for that, and I was like, I'm not seeing any identifiers here. Um, it is about, uh... As is tradition, particularly in classic disaster movies, there is a whole drama happening about another event. In this case, it's the opening of the wing of a hospital uh, that nobody at the hospital seems that jazzed about. It sounds like it was a big donation and like a flashy contribution that uh, nobody at the hospital seems to have think produced like a high, like cutting edge functional medical wing. Like it looks great, but it's not very practical. Um, so they're upset, and there's a big dedication ceremony happening. While this is going on, a fire starts, not necessarily across town, but what we learn right in the middle of town, um, at an oil refinery. There's a lower-key, smaller residential fire that does happen sort of somewhere on the outskirts um, that I think is sort of like our our red herring. Like, uh-oh, it's fire. Things are about to get bad. Um, but the real primetime disaster event in this movie is when a disgruntled now former employee because he's laid off at the beginning of the movie um, decides that he's just going to sabotage this thing. He's going to sabotage an oil refinery in the middle of of American city. And the thing fucking explodes. And because it's in the middle of the city, which we learn because of the evil bureaucracy plot that is revealed at a certain point in the film, um, the city's it's it's in jeopardy. It is imperiled, completely imperiled. Everything is on fire. Things are exploding underground. It's on fire. 
It's causing gigantic shaking, rocking explosions. Buildings are burning. People are collapsing in the streets. And obviously, all those burn victims have to go to the hospital, which is gradually in the surrounding area, with the surrounding area being engulfed in flames, becoming the middle of what we are told is a firestorm, which apparently has the effect of sucking the oxygen out of the area to where if people are in a firestorm zone, they can't breathe because the oxygen is being consumed by the flames. So that's that obviously city on fire disaster. So much fire. There's so much fire in this movie. I love how much fire there is in this movie. Yeah. And I love wide shot visuals of the fires in this movie that kind of look like Zool surfacing in the first Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, and, but then like the, the bulk of the action becomes concentrated as the movie is crescendoing on the hospital and rescuing the people inside, evacuating from the, f- evacuating them from the firestorm zone as everything is just burning, 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 burning. And our oil refinery saboteur involves himself in the action at the hospital as well. Yeah. So reality index wise, to jump right into it, I loved that. I, I A trope I didn't know I needed in my life was the opening title card warning from the 1970s, letting us know that this could happen potentially. Right. That was a big, that was definitely a big part of 70s disasters was like, this could be you. Yeah. That it was like, that these were not just for entertainment. These were precautionary tales. So it opens with a title card, what you are about to see could happen to any city anywhere. And that's why we never learn what the, where the city is because right, they want right. us to know universally that this could be us. This could be Los Angeles. This could be St. Louis. This could be any town USA. Any town. And I absolutely, I just, I loved that that was a thing. They were like, you're going to sit with that as a thought, aren't you? And I was like, not really. No, not. No, I, can't, I can't say I will. Not in particular, but thank you for it. It's good. I'm enjoying this. So yeah, that was- We really did love, a PSA was, we did need, a PSA was essential in the 70s. You needed a PSA. Remember when they were like, for for the uh, Day of the Animals, they're like, this could, this is a potential depiction. And we're like, yeah. what? Yeah. And Leslie Nielsen, also in that. Yeah. Yeah, just warning, warning us about the dangers of the ozone layer depleting and causing animals to temporarily lose their minds. Yeah. And then yeah. die. In a way that really, yeah, in a way that we really couldn't stop or solve, but was just a sort of temporary thing that needed to, to pass like a storm. Um, it, it, it I, I feel like from a, like a, an overarching, like super narrative point of view, um, this movie is so very believably 70s. Like this is such a 70s disaster movie. They even work in, there is the like, this could happen to you PSA. And they even work in like an anti-smoking campaign where- when you're in like the sort of it seems like lower maybe perhaps lower income housing area oh yeah where we we have our like early pre-disaster of a burning home these two rascal boys invite a third boy at this apartment complex to come uh smoke cigarettes with them in a treehouse and he takes he lights a cigarette and takes one attempt at a drag and starts coughing violently he does exactly what i would do if i tried smoking a cigarette he starts coughing violently collapses to the ground starts beating his fists seems like he's going to die and i was like yeah that would actually be me probably um and in like fitfully rejecting the cigarette he just throws it out the door of the treehouse and it's already been lit and it lands in a garbage can and it starts a house fire that almost kills his little sister and uh, they put that out. The firemen get that under control. And we're like, oh, okay, well, that's not the fire. Uh, we haven't gotten to the main event yet. But when his little sister is dying on the ground, the little boy who refused to smoke the cigarette is like, 
don't die, Debbie, don't die. I promise I'll stop smoking. Yeah. It's like, well, child, you never started smoking. <laughs> I did. And also, I, I, of course this is happening. Of course yeah. this is happening right now. No, it was, I love that child, like the, the little boy who just, he was trying so hard and was just bullied by the other nine-year-olds who were smoking cigarettes. Yeah, these were small children. They were all. These were, these were not even tweens. Yeah, they were all like nine. They had an entire pack of cigarettes between them and instead of just bumming one. Um, and they were sitting in a tree house. It was, it was adorable, but also just like, oh, they're very young for this plot line. Very, very young. Um, which like even more emphatically, um, pushing at you the dangers of smoking, which, you know, good. Uh, so we, we, the, the lesson within the lesson felt very true, felt very real to me. And you know what? Casting Henry Fonda as a distant fire chief who probably filmed the entire movie in this one very futuristic looking fire station set. Uh, that felt very believable to me. I was like, of course Henry Fonda's the police chief. This is exactly what I want Henry Fonda to be doing. Yeah, that was Henry Fonda as sort of the staid. And we don't get, and this is this was a, a thing that I kept coming back to in this film was like, I never felt like I got enough of the things I wanted. Um, and maybe that was because it was an hour, 45 minutes long. This was a shockingly short movie. For this time of of disaster movie making, yeah, this was quite streamlined. Yeah, and I don't know if that's just because they were like running out of fuel, so they're like, "Shit, we got to make this movie shorter." Um, like literal fuel, they they burned thousands of gallons of fuel to make this. This movie is constantly on fire. There's it's actually quite so amazing. much fire. It's incredible. But I I wanted more. I wanted to know everything about Henry Fonda's relationship with his son. I wanted to know. Oh, and see, I didn't. I didn't care at all. I wanted, not because I I cared. I didn't care about the son at all, but I cared deeply about Henry Fonda. We get this, like, he's one of the first characters we meet, and we hear about, like, how they trick us. Right. They trick us when we meet him. Yeah. He's just a regular guy sitting on a park bench. They trick us when we meet him because they set him up fully to die. Because he's talking about fucking retirement. That's what I was going to get to was I was expecting, I was like, oh man, Henry Fonda is going to bite it because he's talking about getting a boat and retiring. And instead, Henry Fonda's pretty okay through the whole film. He's like, he's never in the field. Henry Fonda never has to like have a bead of sweat. He just is in this fire station that has like a fun sort of war room board game thing going on. Yeah, it very much looked like it, it looked like something that like should exist in a Doctor Strange Love situation. Um, with how futuristic and tech it was techno it was. Like these like light up boards and it's very sterile and very like it it, it looked like it was meant to be in a 70s movie about like military operations and not in like any town USA's fire department. Yeah, I don't think that there's given given that most fire departments like their upstairs room is their bedrooms and then also their offices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so weird. It was it was truly odd, but I also didn't I was like, sure, that's just where Henry Fonda lives in the yeah, giant I liked it. Yeah, it looked like it was it looked like it was in the lobby of a museum, but I was okay with that. Yes, that is very true. Uh, that is very true. But yeah, he I wanted more Henry Fonda. Just because I always want more Henry Fonda. I I just needed that in my life. If you're going to, like, I just felt like if you're going to give us that character, have him make some tough calls, have him do something with gravitas. And he mostly didn't have to. And no, I, and I, I feel like this movie kind of gave me, it kind of gave me exactly what I needed with one critical failing yes. in that regard. Yes. Agreed. And you know, we could save it for like a chronological discussion no. of the reality and let's of this just movie, go right I, the fuck into it. 
we just I feel like we we on disaster girls cannot talk about city on fire without immediately basically condemning this movie. Absolutely. For the way it resolves head nurse Shelley Winters. Justice for fucking Shelley Winters. What the fuck was that? I, what? I don't know. Was that? It was everything about it was unfair and wrong. One that we didn't it get was, enough Shelley Winters leading up to that. That that is the thing I I did not get enough of was enough Shelley Winters. She has such a great moment when we meet her Ugh. when she like sternly side eyes a new nurse for like making eyes at the like the head doctor. Yeah, where she Just immediately like, figures well she immediately figures out that the doctor has fucked has fucked the nurse. Yes, yes. And she's she's obviously, you know, this is the 70s. She's upset at the nurse about it. And she's I'd know, like she's a, I'd like she's to a think, senior presiding authority figure at this hospital. I'd like to think that as she then walked off with the terrible doctor. I hated him. <laughs> I, I liked him. My I liked him by the end because like I was like, okay, fine, <laughs> you came around. But like in the opening sequence, I in my notes have, oh shit, he's a main character. That means he's not gonna die. Because right, I right, was okay. hoping that his Porsche was going to just crash into a wall of fire and start the fire. Yeah, I feel like we, we're introduced to the head doctor in a way that suggests he's going to be a dirtbag in a way that he's not. Like, yeah. they introduce him like he's the Leslie Nielsen character. He's just Who's garbage. like the craven bureaucrat. But, like, he's never really that bad. No. Like, he's... He's not that bad at all, actually. I think this is just, this is us looking at it and being like, oh, that's what they thought a suave womanizer was like back then. As a, because like we're introduced to him, there's a beautiful woman in his bed. He makes the world's most disgusting smoothie. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that, I mean, this, this smoothie felt super 70s. It was like, it, it had vegetables, it, it had raw egg. But like, what, did was, he put the actual shells in? Because the egg was in there. Whole, so I couldn't tell if that yeah. was raw egg or if it was hard boiled eggs. No, it was raw. Egg. No, he cracks a raw egg and drops them in. But they also looked like they were eggs, like just entirely round white eggs in there too. I was very confused by what was happening. It was no, just, there was that, that, I mean, that was a major. 70s it was disgusting. Yeah, drink a raw egg. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's a health kick right there. I think there was some champagne in it. It was, Get your body right. It was horrifying. And he pours two of them, brings it to the beautiful woman in bed who's like, I don't eat breakfast, which is also what I would say if a man brought me that gross-ass <laughs> looking smoothie in the morning. We ate terrible things. Yeah. And then and then he's like, she's like, so will I see you tonight? And he just like gives a bunch of excuses and then leaves her in his house. Yeah, it was a weird way to open on him. Yeah, and then he drives to not follow through. And then he drives it. like an asshole. Yeah, he does. He drives like he a does. full-on asshole. And then all of a sudden he's like nice warm fuzzy, but I think we're supposed to be like, "Oh, he's a rogue." Um, yeah. He's playing by his own rules. Yeah, and mostly I was just like, "No, you suck, dude." Like, I when he doesn't do anything like particularly lone wolfish no. like, throughout this movie, it's not like he's like making unconventional calls in the ER or something like that. No, he's he's pretty um buttoned up, you know, like top shirt buttoned up kind of doctor run the hospital guy, and he's upset with the bureaucracy for putting all this funding into a wing of the hospital. He doesn't actually really consider that operationally impressive. Um. It's a very odd intro. It's such an odd intro. It's so it's it's such a weird choice because it really did say he had to come he had to struggle back from that for me. And so I did <laughs> I did I did imagine in my head that like Shelly Winters as they were walking away was like, I told you to stop sleeping with 
attractive women who happen to be located near the hospital because 99% of the time (laughs) they end up being nurses on their first day and you're doing this yet again and you're making my job hard. Like I would like to think – Shelly Winters gets such a great – her brassy entrance – Oh, she yeah. walks right. She, politicians always have their fingers in the pie somewhere, and then she, and like, yeah. and then she, she has a great dressing gown moment of Leslie Nielsen, mm-hmm. where everybody has been told to evacuate the hospital by that the head doctor, and she, he's like, "Tell me what? Like, I demand you tell me what's going on here." And she was like, "Oh yeah, like I'll tell you what's going on here. Like some idiot decided to put an oil refinery in the middle of the city, and I think she says like she she takes all in you and she's like, I bet it was you. <laughs> she just." Fully is like, I know you're fucking tight, man. I know you did here. This blood's on your hands kind of thing. Yeah. Shelly Winters is is just as bold as brassy and everything that one would want in Shelly Winters to finally kind of blossom into her own as a <laughs> on in a, as a disaster movie queen. But she also isn't in the movie for long periods of time when we could really use No, she has like she has like She's like three scenes, maybe. Yeah, and we could use Where this she's movie could something. use so much more of her. It could also have used her. I would have liked her to be the one to realize that creepy oil refinery guy does not work at the yeah. hospital. And I did not guy, believability he was very wise, good at being frightening to me. Oh my god! Well, because he's just like yeah. dissociatively in dissociatively calm. He felt very. He really reminded me a lot of. De Niro in Taxi Driver in terms of just like the look and the way he carried himself in that same creepy like I'm a benign nice guy but he's like no you're not yeah no you're not at all but he like would say that he's a good person if you asked him um, yeah like unlike because an airplane that bomber would not consider him or airport that bomber would not have considered himself I think the hero of his own story no like, he was very like even if he did he was clearly conflicted about it. Like that guy was fucking upset. Yeah. He knew he was like pathetic and a failed adult. And he, he had like this guy though, once he realizes he's indeed not getting foreman at the plant in like the maintenance in, in the maintenance cat, um, grouping and they want to move him over because they promoted somebody over him to, to the R and D sector. Um, and he's like, no, I, I I work in maintenance. That's what I do. And they they break it to him that he's not going to be formed. He's like, I'm not going to work under that guy. And it, his boss immediately hands him his walking papers. It's like, you'll get the usual severance and a week's vacation. Good luck. He walks out and he's he decides he's going to literally burn it to the ground. And he gleefully, yeah. like he has had a full joker break. He runs around to every possible spot on this plant that he knows of that he could get this thing to go up like a bomb. And he's like giggling and grinning as he's doing this, knowing full well what's going to happen. And then he goes and gets himself a nice suit and decides he's going to go over to the hospital because turns out that the the woman at the center of the love trial and all this, there's always a woman at the center in, in, in a movie like this, who was once involved with the head doctor when we meet them is kind of involved with Leslie Nielsen, the mayor of the city, but he, she's like trying to, they're either formerly involved or she's kind of trying to break it off with him. And so there's going to be like tension between her and two men. She apparently went to the same high school as this maintenance guy. And he learns that she's going to be at this dedication ceremony for the hospital. And I guess his plan is to like go win her over. He's also married, but yes. Yeah, yeah, to like a seemingly lovely lady. Yeah, but he's. Um, but we've also seen that he's previously obsessed with her. 
Yeah, he's obsessed. He has like he has like a news clipping about her in his is that in his like locker? Yeah, his at work? locker at work. He is he also remember in the opening the the wife is like, come in here, you're on TV. Yeah. Because she's at the like there's a news footage of the woman, Diana, who's been very philanthropic because her second husband died and she's extremely rich. And so she's been very philanthropic. And she's at some sort of dedication ceremony on TV. And he's just in the background because he showed up because he's a fucking stalker. Yeah, he's a stalker. He's a stalker. And he is, he is, he's that guy who's sure that he should have had a better life by virtue of just existing. Yes. And we, because they came up, they grew up together, him and this beautiful woman. She went on to marry Rich. She's made, she's the one who has made the three million dollar donation to this hospital to get a new wing built. And he's gonna go, I guess rekindle what they never had because she started at the school when he was a senior graduating. Um, He's going to go meet her and I guess sweep her off her feet and live the life of privilege that he should have had this whole time. Yes. So in that sense, he felt extremely realistic. Oh, yes. I mean, you just before the podcast started, we, the three of us were discussing mediocre white men uh, and the way that like, the pa- they feel that the patriarchy has specifically failed them, therefore they need an advantage. And yeah. uh, yeah. this was, yeah, this this was a hundred percent what was. I was like, oh, oh, I know who you are. I know what this is, and this is uh-huh. terrifying. He was terrifying because he had just the most. Once he's in the suit and he's decided he's going to go um, meet his destiny by guy by meeting this rich woman. Um, <clears throat> He becomes like, he plays hero. He's like rushing around the hospital, helping people. He becomes her little sidekick. He is, you know, helping her with patience. And he is acting like, you know, he was just somebody at this dedication ceremony and he's now rising to the occasion and he's helping people. And he's just like blithely playing, playing protagonist after having set the city on fire through an act of murderous negligence. Yeah. And you're like, holy fucking shit. There's an extension movie here where he eventually dies, which in a way that's very dissatisfying, he eventually dies. But you can imagine a side movie off of this universe where there isn't the fire and he's just a stalker killer who obsesses over this woman for a movie and like takes her prisoner in her own home and it's a crime thriller. Like there's a very real movie that extends off of this where this guy is just a fucking terrifying heel of the movie in like a dark killer sense. Yeah. No, he is he is deeply terrifying and creepy. Um and what he does is yeah, so he's at this dedication <laughs> ceremony and then the and then the the fire happens and everyone starts rushing inside and she's trying to get some help for like a councilman or something. Yeah. And he's like, I'm I'm a paramedic. I'm an EMT. And he just jumps right into that lie without second yeah. thought. Oh yeah. And that's how he ends up in this situation is that she thinks he is an EMT and he is at the hospital the whole time. And it's this almost like funny running gag where he keeps, he keeps trying to be like, so you and I in high school. And she's like, where's the oxygen? This person needs oxygen. Cause she, j- yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause she immediately like adapts to she's Diana was fantastic. Diana to me was the hero of this movie, regardless of what she this movie wanted br- us to be. She had a better arc than I thought she would, yeah. where she starts as kind of like, she comes in, you're like, oh, yeah, this woman just, like, donates millions of dollars and walks to this hospital, and it's actually not that good of a renovation, and nobody talked to the doctors about it, it seems like, and it's just this fancy showpiece. And she's, like, the blithe rich woman. And then it's like, oh, 
she's fucking showing up in this crisis. Like Diana has her inflection point where it's like you, it's your fight or flight time. And she's like, that's it. I'm a triage nurse now. And she gets right into helping huge props to the look of the disaster. Oh my God. The constant fires really do feel fucking terrifying the entire time. And the visual effects of the burn injuries are gruesome. At one point, they roll a body into the hospital of someone who is still allegedly alive that looks like they have been put in a microwave. Like, it is nasty at points. And the cat, like, we don't get, there's only, fortunately, the movie doesn't belabor us with, like, patient stories where we have to care about, like, a bunch of people in the hospital. But it gives us one perfect patient in the form of a pregnant woman. (gasps) I loved her. This woman, I fucking nominate her for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar. She is, she gets wheeled out into a room to to make space for somebody. She makes wheeled out into a hallway to make space for somebody else in a room. And she's like, I can't have a baby. She goes, I can't have a baby in a hallway. It'll be illegitimate. Like, that's how we meet this woman, saying that a baby born in a hospital hallway would be illegitimate. No, we meet her first. First, we meet her when, because Shelly Winters knows oh, her. Right. And is like, what you're are right. you doing back here? And she's like, another of baby. Shelly Winters would know this amazing woman. Another baby. And the woman, and Shelly Winters is like, don't you remember what the doctor told you? Which is either an abortion <laughs> joke or a birth control <laughs> yeah. joke. And I can't tell, but I don't care. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely. I, too, was like, wait, does this mean this woman's here for a third abortion? Or does this mean a third baby? I couldn't tell. And I like to think that was the point. Yeah. No, it was... She, every, it was fantastic. She was, I love this brassy woman. Oh my God. She gets rolled in the hallway. Like Diana goes up to her and she's like, do you have to have this baby now? And like the woman, again, she's on third baby. She's in a hospital hallway. The world's dying around her. She just looks at Diana and goes, for you, I'll wait a half an hour. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this woman is incredible. And everything she says is that good. Like when they're, when she like is finally, you know, this is she's manages to avoid having the baby for presumably hours. We go through a whole day at this hospital. It becomes like nighttime. They're evacuating everybody. Diana's in the hallway with the pregnant woman, and it's happening. There's no stopping it anymore. And like Diana and she, Diana's like, I don't know. She she's like, Have you done this before? She's like, Yeah, twice. And like the baby's coming. She's like, I don't know what to do. And the the woman's just like, You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like she's coaxing, she's reassuring that this woman who's not having a baby, that she's gonna be fine <laughs> pulling this infant out of this other woman's body. And when the baby finally comes out, like Diana's witnessed the miracle of life, there's an incredible moment where the mom's like, Give me your hands. She takes Diana's hands, anchors her feet against Diana's shoulders, and is like, I'm gonna push, and starts pushing. Baby comes out. And Diana's like, it's a baby. She's like, it's a, she goes, oh my God, it's a baby. And the mom goes, thank God for that. (laughs) It's like, you are unshakable, ma'am. Oh Oh my God. She was, well, thank God for that. Thank God for that. (laughs) She was fantastic. She, her exit line from the hospital is passing by the doctor and going, I'll see you on the next baby. Like. (laughs) wow she's about to be wheeled out into a fucking inferno on a gurney and she's like i'll see you on the next baby doc wow you that that woman want her on my fantasy disaster team no question about it yeah she she had she had a real rhoda morgenstern vibe to her that i loved uh and and just a a a no fuck sort of whimsy and amazing she was so great i (laughs) 
retreat. I would have spent so much. I would have done a whole movie about her happily. Just been like, yeah, let's just spend time at her house. I want to hear her yelling at her boys who are inevitably like Johnny Jr. Yeah. And, oh, and absolutely. Frankie are her two boys. And now she has a, a girl finally. And they're awful. Oh. But they have a heart of gold because their mom's amazing. Right. They're awful boys. But like only because they're 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 rascals, they're rabble rousers. But they love her and they respect her, and she keeps them in line. Yeah, they say a lot of oh, geez, ma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she hits them. Yeah. she smacks them upside the head constantly. Like that's her move. That, yes, yes, that's it. That's a hun- oh my god, I yeah, love it. If so she much. was like to me, she was she was like if you made Mercedes rule like somebody more recognizable, like you made her that character, that would have totally fucking worked. Like ultimate. Italian mom energy. I, I just I can't say enough about and, and I'm thank God we did get her. There are there are, there are phenomenal supporting actors in this supporting characters in this movie. There's her, there is the drunk off of her ass, <gasps> complete catastrophe of a news anchor. Ava Gardner who, like, doing her best Moira Rose. It is it is it, that is exact, it like mean toxic Moira Rose like if Moira Rose was not like was not like a chaotic good right and was like just like a just death was like chaotic evil like she is so vain she has that like very casual I need to watch like more archive footage of, of kind of people in her role from the 70s because there seemed to be something so casual about talk format in the 70s yeah. where you could just be drinking alcohol or like fully chain smoking and like she it just feels very like in my home with um an acerbic fame hungry uh news anchor who like is definitely stoked on this catastrophe because ratings are going to be through the roof yeah. and she multiple times there there is a subplot in this movie of multiple times she's like too drunk to go on <laughs> and so her producer i presume husband or maybe man she's having an affair with at the studio. I think I think it's just like a weird codependent relationship. I don't think that there is a truly like romantic thing. I think yeah, it's there's just like, a lot of like come on baby and like kissing and face touching. But again, this is the 70s. Yeah, and it's it just media, feels so like it's I, it truly to me felt like this is just her longtime producer, although he's younger than she is, that like knows how to he's the only guy who knows how to get through to her. And she's yeah, the, she's the the talent. And so it's just like, well, we're gonna keep him and we're gonna keep her, and they'll just have to keep working together. She was ish. The whole thing was her whole vibe was if Faye Dunaway and Network um, had been talent instead of the news, instead of like the news executive. That was her whole like she loved, she was bloodthirsty and kind of weirdly sexy and intense and terrifying. Oh, so terrifying. And like, it's so sexy she, also because she's Ava Gardner. So, or but she's Ava Gardner. Like, yeah, the way she's like drunkenly zhuzhing her hair, it's like you just, you're, you're a legend. And like, it won't, like, she gets made up at one point by her team. She's like, what can you do about these wrinkles? And the, the guy leans in. He's like, only God can perform miracles. And she banishes them all out to get drunk. <laughs> she goes on stage and they're like, wow, she's like in her cups for the old bags in her cups for this already. Like, she goes out drunk when the crisis begins. She, gets through it of course because she just lives drunk is in this is the 70s it's fine and then at one point she's like in between i guess she's on a break between like broadcast rounds she goes back they find her fully passed out by her booze on the floor in 
the uh, green room. Producer guy gets her, picks her up physically, puts her in a cold shower where they have a fight, but ends with her him being like, I'll see you on stage. And she just like slyly stares at him. is like, I'm going to get you for this. And it's like, oh, this is your weird psychosexual foreplay thing you do. And then she starts like fully showering with her clothes on. He walks out the door, closes it behind her. He just looks at the glam squad and just goes, fix her. <laughs> Because now she's going to need a full blowout, change of clothes. Like, she's coming out of the shower. She goes back. Like, that is a that is a plot we follow in this movie, is the weird escapades at a newsroom. Yeah, we spend more time with those two than we do with Nurse Shelley Winters, which again- We absolutely get more Ava Gardner than we do Shelley Winters, 100%. Like, I, I, I loved Ava Gardner in this. I loved everything. Every time she was on screen, I was just like, this is- this is not just a star, but f- she, they start having the best time. She was having oh, God, yeah. so much fucking fun. And I was yeah. so happy that Ava Gardner got t- – when she when the power goes out and she goes, what the fuck is happening? What the f- – live on air. Yeah. They're like, that was alive. That was on air. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck is happening? And she just hits the word fuck so hard and with so much <laughs> relish. And I was like, I, I want to hear Ava Gardner use all the curse words now. Um, so it was delightful, but it was also so weird to be pulled back over and over again to this outside of all of the drama. They were like fairly safe. There was never any sense of danger in the newsroom itself. So it was real weird to keep getting pulled back. Yeah, there's no, like, you keep thinking the studio is going to be threatened. Yeah, or that, but it never, like, maybe, I guess it's maybe in another town reporting on what's going on. I don't know, but it is never in danger. It's never in danger. She never has to, like, be in the field. There's no stakes to any of what's happening there. And I was like, this is just a weird choice, but okay. And it was like this other little mini movie inside of our main movie. It is. It's a great mini movie. Yeah, it, I won't won't regret having spent those moments with them, but was definitely confused about why we were there. <laughs> because you've got Ava Gardner and you lean in. I, I guess you just called them and was like, "Hey, I want to be in the in your picture," and they're like, "Shit, we got to write a part for Ava Gardner now." Yeah, and they really ginned up something fun on the spot. And this, like. I felt like, it, as far as realism goes, I felt like there was a real commitment to the gore. Like, there was oh, a real yeah. commitment to the gruesomeness of, like I was saying with the special effects. So I, I felt like, as far as creating a claustrophobic sense of inescapable te- terror inferno, I bought it. The wide shots from, like, the roof of the TV station or something, I think is what it was. Oh, no, they were on the were, roof of they were on the roof of the hospital. The, oh the God! Film, Hopefully they got down before it blew yeah, up. The, the um, film crew, yeah, the film crew gets out because when Leslie Nielsen is hosing everybody down, mm-hmm. um, they are running out carrying their equipment. That's it. Yeah, I, I no, all, the cavalcade of people leaving. I'd forgotten they were among yeah. them. Uh, there is an. In, this movie really commits to. Um, I think this is the most amazing by virtue of its longevity. Uh, escape to safety sequence I've ever oh my God. seen. We saw like it everyone is, escape. It's a full act of the movie watching people run from the hospital because what they've decided they need to do is they need to get people out of the, the firestorm. So, because they're going to not be able to breathe and also everything's going to burn. So, firemen have created like a, a rain tunnel basically where they have like a corridor of staggered firefighters like creating a, a a a tunnel effect of like spraying their hoses that people can run out into and into safety because i think one person does run out too soon and i think she just basically spontaneously bursts into flames right yeah like a, a 
already a burn victim in like a state of delirium is escapes the hospital is running toward the firefighters. And I couldn't tell if there was something specifically that they caught on or if that person just burst into flames because like the heat was so intense that their clothing just caught fire. Is that what happened? I think that she I think that something like I think that something land uh, that she she interacted okay. with something because I, I don't think you can just burst into fire like that. I was just I was I wasn't sure yeah. like that's that's probably what happened. I, I was just like, oh, are they trying to say that the fire like that the air is so intensely hot that like clothing is bursting into flame? Like yeah. that's probably not what happened. I think Amanda is right, but it was kind but of I like think a, that's, oh fuck. I think that's why everyone. So they on the one end we've got yeah, the fire channel, but everyone else also Leslie Nielsen is in charge of just hosing down every person. And what becomes really comical because of the extras. Yeah. Every so often you get an extra who clearly hadn't been paying attention while the director was <laughs> telling them what was going to be happening in this scene because they'd run out the door and Leslie Nielsen would soak them with water yelling, gotta get yep. you wet, gotta get you totally wet. And the yeah, no. and the extra would react like they had no clue this was about to happen. Well, also, I'm sure that water was fucking freezing. Oh, miserable. So I think even if you're bracing yourself, <laughs> when that like, they don't have it turned up to fire hose levels. Like it's, it's pretty dispersed to be like, a powerful like garden hose at that point. It's not like being blasted with the pressure of a fire hose, but it's suddenly it's like, okay, brace yourself. And they're just being saturated. So funny. And so, cause he has to like, he has to wet people down so they can make the run between the hospital, the distance between the hospital and where the fire brigade is creating this like water tunnel to shelter them. <clears throat> Which means Leslie Nielsen spends this entire long specific like rescue operation just hosing people down. That's Leslie Nielsen's entire job is to just soak people it's with water. So good. It's and he he really normally I feel like like Leslie Nielsen has I grew up with him as such a comedy figure in my house because we loved the Naked Gun movies and we loved his his like satire comedies, his spoofs. Um that I didn't come to sinister Leslie Nielsen until much later in my life. Like, I didn't realize Leslie Nielsen ever played bad guys, and he's so good at it. And he plays, like, the smug bureaucrat in this who, at one point, he's in his office. There's a friend of his who's in there, like, fully having a heart attack, and, like, actually having a heart attack. And he goes, I think he says, don't ever tell them. Don't ever tell them you were wrong about the refinery. Like, don't ever admit you were wrong about the refinery. So it was clearly his call that allowed for the zoning of this refinery being put in the middle of the city. So we learn that, like, he is a guy with blood on his hands for all of this happening because he's a craven bureaucrat. And we, from Shelley Winters calling him out one time, we kind of learn that he almost certainly has machinations on becoming governor one day. When she's like, yeah, I bet you want to be governor too. And so he he comes around and actually becomes, like, you're, he's, he's, he needs to go to jail uh, for what he's done. But also, he's like trying to pay his penance throughout the second half of this movie. He's not trying to be the bureaucrat who's like, get me out of here. I need to be saved. I'm the per most important person here. I deserve to be rescued first. He's like, I'm staying to the end. I'm hosing all of these people down and I'm going to make sure everyone gets to see. Yeah, he steps up by the end and really becomes, mm -hmm. he becomes a not terrible person. Uh, yeah. Despite through most of it just being garbage. Yeah, we learn, so we learn first of all, he is having an affair with Diana or attempting yes. to have, an, he is having an affair with Diana or attempting to because he is married. Yeah. Um, he does have designs on becoming governor. She is probably a stepping stone for that because she had previously been married to a governor. Right, to a governor. right. Um, that's who the hospital is dedicated in the name of. So he's definitely after like her connections, kind of having her as a prestige wife and probably her funding as well. 
Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, and he just and he and the, when he's in the hospital <laughs> and he's like talking to early before the dedication ceremony and he's talking to the terrible hero doctor and he's like, "I'm gonna have you come." And the hero doctor's like, "It's a good thing you're not gonna have me speak because I wouldn't have anything nice to say." And Leslie Nielsen's like, "You are gonna speak and you are gonna say nice things." Yeah. Just in a shitty, general, menacing way. Yeah. He just – everything about him sucks and he really does ultimately come around. Although, yeah, I'm definitely hoping his career is it, – it sucks because you watch it and I'm like, oh, no. And by the end, he's like the real – he's being interviewed and they're like, you were a hero today. And he's like, the real hero are the people of this city. And I want to believe that he's going to quietly retire from a life of politics and devote himself to like being a monk. And, re- and atoning yeah. for yeah. his sins, but he's absolutely going to relay this to become like America's mayor, and then he's going to, and yeah, then he's going to yeah. be America's mayor, and then he'll be like in a presidential campaign in 1984. And I'm just like, I hate everything about this alternate universe because I see what's happening here. I see you, Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> and I know what your plan is, and it's that you'll spend two years feeling kind of sheepish, then being like, but why not me? Yeah, exactly. That it, you're exactly yeah. right. And, and I, I feel like we're ready to get in because now that we've talked about the incredible uh, backlot, I wonder how long oh my God. they had those fucking fires continuously burning. I saw like, I saw like there was a, on Wikipedia or something, I saw that they had said how many gallons of fuel. And But oh one thing, my we got to really shout out to the amount of, in terms of the practical effects, the stunt effects of the stunt people themselves. There. If you have thought to yourself lately, disaster divas, you know what we don't see enough of anymore? Stuntmen covered in flame retardant running on fire, full body on fire. Yeah, running with their arms this, waving in the air. This movie will fill that quota for you for the foreseeable future. It's There's so much of it. And what's so shocking as you start to watch it is you realize how long the uninterrupted takes are. I don't know. Oh, my God. We couldn't find out how many stunt people they killed in this film. How many stunt people? But I have to how assume. How many stunt people did they have to have available to keep lighting on fire? I mean, like, these what prolonged I- takes of these people just running, flaming. When the woman at the end, the one you were talking about who just like spontaneously catches on fire, she yeah. is on fire for a very long, long time, time and we don't cut away. And I'm just like, no, we're watching a human person be killed uh-huh. for cinema. It was, I mean, and, and I have to believe that if you weren't if you weren't Leslie Nielsen or Shelley Winters or I forget who plays the doctor in that in that rescue sequence, I have to believe that most of the people that they had playing extras had to be stunt people because they're running through a corridor and surely like the sound design makes it feel like it's just a 360 cave of deadly fire and that's what it that wasn't what it was necessarily in practice. But there is so much fire burning in proximity to people. It was like are these just extras? Are these just extras running through a small corridor fire right now? Like I think they were. It was filmed in Canada. I have to assume crazy. they were. And yes, it is the 70s and things were different. Yeah. I mean, it was it I mean, Jordan, how many people are running around fire? How many years prior was the Poseidon adventure where they yeah. were just like, hey, small child, how long can you hold your breath to swim through yeah, this? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, those yeah, were just was, people. It, it was a real the playgrounds are made of steel bars kind of time. Yeah. And by the way, they used 45,000 gallons of fuel to for, to set the shoot to set everything ablaze. There there was one um there was one uh sort of larger effects piece that they kept going back to. They surely just kept replaying the same thing over and over again, but to like give you a sense of the city burning and it was this one 
building. It was like this one skyscraper yeah. that was supposed to be completely engulfed in flames that burned so completely for so long that it was like, okay, no, I'm sorry, just that building would have collapsed hours ago. Like the building would be down by now. But it was just this, it was a towering inferno. It is just this totem of fire that they keep cutting back to where it's not a building that is like burning out of some windows and it's a general it's catastrophe. All the windows. It is completely engulfed in flame. It is a fucking torch. Yeah. And it's and in the background. showing it too. And it looks awesome. It looks great. And they kept, they also had it in the background of all the matte painting yeah. for the rooftop shots too. Yeah. There's, there's, there's that burning building and that's behind it. You see like the Zool. Yeah supernatural uh, light show happening in the very, very background of the map painting that was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I don't entirely understand why it's doing that, but sure, why not? No, not at Didn't, all. Not at it all. Was, it was so, it was so great. Yeah, the special effects. It was like electric blue and pink light. Yeah. It was like, that's not fire. It was, it was beyond extreme, but also I was, it was, and they kept cutting back to it. And I was like, I don't know why you keep showing me this, but sure, let's go with this. I don't care. This is so intense and amazing. And yeah, they just, they had so many t- instances of like at the oil refinery, they had multiple people falling off of things. They had lots of people on fire. It was just the carnage of this, of this disaster was really top notch. Oh yeah. And, and I, I, which, which I think brings us to the point where I'm, so a dissatisfying, a really upsetting ending to key characters in this movie is the 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 bad guy weirdo obsessive stalker arsonist has made it clear to the end he's one of the last people to leave the hospital and he's like he looks like he's kind of had a like he, he's just sort of gliding oh, from the hospital well, to because the, the we fire. haven't talked about the other the other plot point for him oh right so, yeah. okay so diana's having an affair with the mayor and there is as a sub sub subplot. That's right. As a a, a super subplot is that there's mm-hmm. two like shitty sort of tabloid photographers who are stalking this, and they have yeah. photos, incriminating photos of it. The one of the tabloid photographers runs into a burning building in order to save his photographs, then runs out on fire, and because he's on fire, he then is hit by a speeding car. And yeah. is t- oh my god, that was another real like seventy yeah. stunt moment. We're like fuck, I think that guy's <laughs> like, oh my God. They, they just fully just sent that stuntman over a car going 60 miles per hour with no padding. Oh my God. As he's burning completely alive. Yeah. And he, they let him go to the hospital clutching the packet of photographs, which I thought, I, I would have yeah. thought his partner would have taken them from him, but apparently not. And he makes it through most of the hospital clutching them until he dies. Yeah. And he dies. He's he's like shambling his way from the hospital to the fireman. He drops no, the phone. Oh, so no, the, that's the that's the 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 fire guy. The fire the the fire starter. Yeah, the fire starter. So the so, fire yeah, starter so sees the photos and is like, "Oh no, my perfect woman actually is a whore." And that's what yeah. sends him into this. Cuz I want to bring that up just because of Yeah, you're right. It's important to touch upon the fact that like the entire character, this whole thing has been like, I'm going to make her love me. And then he sees some photographs and she's like, and he wants to talk to her about it because it's important for their future. And she's like, I don't have time for this. We have to flee a hospital and everyone is dying. And he gets like, that's what sends him into a catatonic state, realizing that like catatonic, catatonic. state. So and but not catatonic enough that he'll die in the hospital. No, no. He has to try to fucking escape. Yeah, he's like he's like again shambling through this corridor. He drops the photos. He like 
kind of absentmindedly turns around to go get them and Shelly Winters, because she's the head nurse, and nobody nobody knows that this guy's the arsonist and it's really dissatisfying. You're like waiting for anybody to find out that this guy is involved because you want you want his crime to be recognized in some way. And because fuck this guy. And so Shelly Winters is like, leave him, keep going, leave, you forget about that, forget about it. Like she's trying to not get him to go back for this envelope. He turns around to go back and get it. A set of scaffolding collapses on him because everything's on fire. I guess presumably killing him. Shelly Winters, because she's a fucking nurse with a duty of care, runs to help this guy. And while she is standing in the wreckage of the scaffolding, the side of a fucking building falls on her. Yeah. Not only, not only does Shelly Winters die again unjustly, it is trying to save the guy who started the fires. I am outraged. It was so I am yes. furious about this. I was stunned. It was I was so fucking angry. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It was the deep unfairness of all of this. It, it was- couldn't even have been to save the amazing pregnant lady like it had to be that guy who we never even get to see the vindication of like his name being dragged through the mud for being responsible for the deaths of presumably untold thousands in this city. That is who you have Shelly Winters give her life to try and save when he's probably already dead. Oh my God, fuck you. I really enjoyed this movie. I was having a great time. This is an unremovable stain on City on Fire. Yeah. It's impossible. It's impossible to watch this film having gotten through it and we'll go back and watch it again knowing that we'll be robbed of what little Shelly Winters we get. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. And again, and, and, and again, so the I don't believe for a second that Shelly Winters wouldn't look at him and be like, you're not an EMT. Like she knows every right, no. person. Oh, well, she knows. She saw him wrap that stupid ass bandage yeah. on that guy's arm. And he's like, I've been trained in this. And she's like, who trained you? And she like shoes him away right. and takes off the shitty bandages and fixes his bad work. She knows. But I mean, like, like I, the fact that Shelly Winters didn't get to out him. That, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Like, I don't believe for a second that Shelly Winters wouldn't be like, you don't work at this hospital. You're suspect. Also, yeah. I can smell. I can smell the oil on you. It's you. Yeah, she would. She's fucking Sherlock, man. She's a forensic scientist. Yeah. Like she is Shelly. She is head nurse Shelly Winters. She's seen too much to not suss this guy out immediately. I the thank God we have amazing pregnant lady in this movie because I really am leaning on her masterful supporting performance to like pull me back from the brink. Absolutely. How aggrieved Shelley Winters was by this movie's decision. I cannot believe they did that. As far as like reality index goes, yeah, I guess I can believe you would so wildly disrespect Shelley fucking Winters. Do I believe she would go back for the man? Because she's like, I'm a nurse and this is my job. Yes, I do. I, I am still morally, I'm apoplectic about this choice. It was, it was in a movie filled with so much death and unfairness 
It was uh, the most unfair thing. It was yep. it was horrible. I'm I'm with you. As soon as it happened, it, like, and I knew it. I was like, she's made it through, and we haven't really lost a lot of the main characters. This is like, yep. I knew. I I started to see what was going to happen. Once oh, once she was like too concerned with his making it through, I was like, fuck, she's going to go back to save him. She's going to like pull him forward, and something's going to happen. Oh no. And I, it didn't make it any hope. better when it happened. I was happened. clinging to hope that she would rescue him and that he was still alive so he could be like clapped in irons at the end of the movie and escorted off. Like, and he would confess everything in like a weird breakdown. Like, that was what I was hoping. I was like, please tell me that she is getting him so justice can be served and not just him like anonymously di- like perishing right now. Like, f- no, that I, yeah. Yeah. Just an, an absolutely insane decision. And that is that's 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 our that's that's our big death. That's our big key death. Um, Leslie Nielsen, the head doctor, and the and the the woman they both love, they all make it out. It's great. Um, it is it, it is quite funny to me that the last thing we see in this movie is that it like essentially is like an aerial shot over kind of like a, a, a refugee camp that like this what has happened. All these people have had to flee the city, which is just like a few scattered tents in a big like dirt expanse and then it shows us it, they're they're in a, like a rock quarry. yeah i think what they have been transported <laughs> um randomly to a rock quarry i guess near town i think it's like, supposed to be the smoldering ruins of the town but they definitely that was, that used was the what rock i was quarry. wondering and i was like wait is this supposed like is this supposed to be that the town is so completely burned like the city is so it's a it's a big city it's a city this city has so completely burned that all that is left is completely like naked stone and trees. Like there's no rubble. There's no ash. It's like, nope. It is, it's it's all just back to the earth from whence it came now. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I, it definitely was supposed it was to be really weird. It was definitely supposed to be like desolate, sort of burned out shells <laughs> of buildings, but they had blown that budget on the 45,000 gallons of fuel. Yeah. So instead, we just got um, a rock quarry. It was a weird. Yeah. Was, because like everyone was being evacuated out of said rock quarry. That was the thing. Like, yeah, no one's staying right. there. So it's clearly not the refugee camp so much as it's like mm-hmm. the makeshift. Like this is what we have left shelter sort of situation. Yeah. This is our transition area. Yeah. So it was. I think yeah. like a, a the part of the town that they had managed to not, you know, totally catch on fire. It was. It was. And of course, like. They're a signature of this movie, as in so many, is, is asshole journalists. Like, Ava Gardner is just a craven bitch. Yes. And the movie starts with oh, a harassing broadcast journalist tormenting a mother as she's watching, like, the, when the apartment fire starts at the beginning because of smoking. Um, she's, like, screaming that her daughter is inside. And he's pulling and tugging at her. Ma'am, is your daughter inside? Is your daughter inside? Is she alive? And just like, ma'am, can you look at the camera? It's just being awful. Running up to firemen trying to resuscitate one of their colleagues who has been killed in the blaze. Like, he's gonna die. Like, he's essentially been killed in the blaze. They're trying to bring him back to life. Sir, is he alive? Is he alive? Is he gonna die? What's going on? Tell us what's going on. Like, just an abs... He doesn't even seem... They don't even make him like a reporter. They really make him seem like a guy who has a friend with a camera and they go capture guerrilla footage to sell to news networks. Like they make him like a night crawler, but he's essentially with like a broadcast network. 
So, like, this movie, as with so many, just making journalists look like absolute fucking monsters. And, you know, there are a lot of dicks who are journalists, but there are a lot of dicks who do a lot of jobs. And the huge, huge lack of favors that film and television have done journalists over the ages. Yeah, it was making particularly glaring in this. Fucking parasites. Man, it's brutal. Like, we are really behind in the PR war right now (laughs) with uh, the fourth estate in this country. And I know this movie is from the 70s, but, like, shit like this along the way has not helped. There are only so many The President's Men that we can bounce back with. (laughs) Because otherwise, it's a real unfair deluge of, like, women journalists fuck their sources. Everybody else would throw you in front of a bus to get the story. It's like, God damn it. Yeah, I was really grateful that we didn't spend more time with that dude. Like, we spent a surprising- I was worried he would become a feature. Yeah, we spent a surprising amount of time with him in the opening of it for him to just drop out and just not be a character for the rest of it. But I was also grateful because he was horrible. Yeah, he was too horrible. He was too horrible. It was like, can somebody throw him in a fire? And I I feel like my, my largest point of reality that this movie, like, gets- five million thumbs up for is the the disaster looked so real because the fire was real. Yeah. <laughs> These fires are burning. At one point, I don't know how the fuck they did this. This is the beginning of the movie. When the fire, like when it becomes clear that the fire is going to escape the refinery and everything in, in whatever fucking 10 mile radius is going to go down because of this thing. It like a flammable, like oil or like gas, gas looks like processed, like petroleum gets into a waterway and it fills it up, and so it just becomes like a, f- a channel of flame that sends water through, like, the tunnels through the city, like like sewer tunnels and stuff. When that catches fire and w- fire starts ripping across the surface of this water, I was like, this is really happening. Where the shit did they do this? Like, it, there's trees around this. This is, what did they, how did they do this? How did they do this? How did they put this out? How is this contained? Somebody explained to me how more things really did not catch on fire. With the amount of flames that we are dealing with in this movie. Yeah. It, it it felt dangerous all of the time. Yeah, the whole thing did have very much a feeling of like, this could have ended really, this could have either been an achievement in cinema or this could have been a horror story. And yeah, it really truly. could have gone either way. I do want to point out, like I looked it up, um, and granted it was a tough couple of years that it was competing against, but this did not even get a nomination for for best special effects for best visual effects man they really they again this you really feel a sense of and it's not because it's not because they're everybody is constantly like not everything is on fire but they do such a good job of making you feel like everything either is on fire or could catch fire at any given time they make it feel like a completely surrounded real inferno where you're wondering how these actors did their jobs because you just imagine like a 360 theater of flames around them at any given moment. And I was very, I was extremely impressed by the, the sustainable stress yeah. that created for you to think that that was real. Yeah. And then when it gets into the hospital, when there's the, when it, the hospital has a fire, has sort of a towering inferno style supply room fire. I mean, they did a great job. Yeah. They really and did. And it, I, I genuinely, I, I, I was shocked to see it didn't even get, it was, I mean, it was up against Alien and oh, it's like, it's 1980. There's going to be a lot of, yeah. there's going to be a lot of competition. 1980 is Alien, Star Trek. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. 1941, which I don't know. Moonraker, which I would argue you could probably. 
This was better than Moonraker. You could probably substitute Moonraker with this one. You could have put this one in instead of Moonraker. And then the black hole, which also I don't know. Um... Um, but I definitely yeah, think that no, this could have. This movie. They did a good. Sh- like, man, they burned a lot of fucking fuel. Like, I, global warming might be because of this film. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think we we found patient zero, guys. I don't want to say it was worth it, but also it kind it wasn't not worth it. This was an achievement in in flaming cinema. So does that? Are we prepared then to springboard into what was this movie really about? Oh, Jordan, I think that we must. But not before a brief word from our sponsor. Hey, everybody. Producer Jason here, and I'd like to welcome you to what will henceforth be our ad break. After making this show for over a year, we've finally decided to start opening up our doors. We're looking for sponsors who fit right in with what we and our listeners love. So if you're looking to get the word out to the ever-expanding legions of disaster divas, this is your only spot. Email ads at thatmightbecool.com to learn more. That's A-D-S at ThatMightBeCool.com. Now, back to the show. Amanda, what do you think City on Fire was really about? Oh, well, Jordan, this one's a a T-ball sort of situation. This is a film about toxic masculinity. A hundred fucking percent (laughs) about toxic masculinity. This entire disaster would not exist without toxic masculinity. You can't you can't get away from it. You've got Leslie Nielsen's toxic masculinity with his his desire to be his his corruptness, um, which is absolutely fueled by the fact that like I'm sorry, but that's that's just 100 yeah. percent just gross male mayorness, which I have a lot of feelings on these fucking days here in Los Angeles. Yeah, you um, Amanda's radicalized. We should all be radicalized. But Amanda is like researched and radicalized. Amanda, Amanda really like I also particularly because like whenever someone from my high school goes on to be particularly terrible, I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Like we had the same we came from the same place and that same place is abject fucking privilege. Yes. And so whenever yes. someone who comes from that place is also just like garbage at their job or objectively horrible, I'm just like, fuck you, man. Now I'm really mad. It's like if your family members embarrassing you publicly. Anyway, so <laughs> so terrible mayors who think that they're going to get positions of power through their own failings. Uh, that's real relatable to me. Mm-hmm. But again, that's toxic masculinity. But this whole disaster wouldn't exist if not for the fact that there is a shitty, mediocre man who feels that he is entitled to more in life, who won't take what sounds like a fucking promotion. Like, research and development sounds like a good setup, dude. Like, you're not going to be... They're clearly trying to, like, distract him from, oh, well, we promoted someone over you, so we want to move you to R&D. Like, they're shuffling around. At the same time, my dad worked in construction uh, his whole life. There were substance abuse issues there, became a pill addict, like early retirement whole host of issues he's in recovery now i would say he's fine he's not a person who's fine but he's a person who's alive and who's managing and he's just he's a wild person um but the fact is he being being a pill addict in in what my dad does in carrying like putting on the tool bags and running up and down flights of stairs and pounding nails his whole life there's an expiration date on that and the idea of in in seemingly your physical prime being able to transition from such manual labor that could be really taxing on you physically and make make the golden years of your life a lot more strenuous by transferring into a cushy R&D job yeah that's kind of like the long-term investment in your health and well-being especially because the company's been like we did an aptitude test on you and we think you'd be good in R&D like we see him earlier on 
he's fixing yeah. a like a creepy toy, but he's very yeah. clearly like got a brain for that shit. Yeah. But it's not what he wants. He wants to be a foreman and he doesn't get it. So instead, he decides that he's going to blow up an entire goddamn plant. When in fact, there is a much higher ceiling almost assuredly on his ascendance at the company if he transfers to research and development that there is. Yeah. If he becomes foreman, that's probably that's probably as high as it's going to go. It's right there in the name. In the manual labor It's department. right there in the goddamn name. Foreman. Yeah. Front man. That's it. Yeah. You're done. You're capped out. And yeah. you got to work for Kershaw. Fuck you, man. Yeah. yeah. And you've got to work for Kershaw. You've got Kershaw. If you, hey, when he's, because they, they're like, oh, well, we already promoted Kershaw to Foreman. I don't want to work for Kershaw. It's like, guess what? There's a cushy little job right over here that has nothing to do with Kershaw that you could go take. They actually hand him a solution as they are handing him a problem. And it's not what he wants, but it's not the company saying, well, we you got jumped over for a promotion and now you can either live with it or quit. They're like, well, we're going to we're going to like hand you a spoonful of sugar with this medicine and tell you that you've got a job in R&D. And he just in a huff quits, quits and decides that no, what he's going to do is blow up the entire plant and then stalk and seduce a woman who is so out of his league. It is absurd. Yeah. But who's he is entitled to his wife. Yeah. We see his wife, too. She seems lovely. Yeah. Like, they're a nice little couple. So to me, that that coupling was like, you know, in The Wolf of Wall Street, when in the beginning he's got his regular person wife and then and then he's like got his Margot Robbie wife. Yes. That was, <laughs> that was the ascendancy he saw for himself. It was not the ascendancy he deserved. No, no. And that was 100% that day. And I was like, fuck you, man. Everything about this, fuck you. So this is all that toxic masculinity. The toxic masculinity, even of like the garbage, the garbage doctor who, okay, fine. <laughs> he ends up being a good guy who saves a bunch of people. But does he yeah. really? Because, you know, how many nurses did he sexually harass out of, how many nurses did he sexually harassed out of entirely Fair the question. field? You know, yeah, fair question. like let's like yep. let's weigh this one out for a second. This is the oh, but he's a talented male comic. Like, great, yeah, you're right. He's an important voice in comedy. But what would we? Ha- what other important voices have we lost because of what oh has God, he's yeah. done? Same fucking thing. How many women has he forced to have this terrible breakfast smoothie? And it turns out that they're oh, bright God. young medical students that then are like, <laughs> oh, I guess I can't work in this hospital anymore. And then they end up transferring and never getting their role and maybe could have like saved the hospital faster or cured cancer. This yep. whole movie is about how toxic masculinity. You know what can happen in any city, Jordan? Yep. Yep. You know what? This is truly a warning. What you are about to see could happen in any city, anywhere, (laughs) and it does. And that's toxic masculinity burning everything to the fucking ground. Thank you very much. That is absolutely right. In any city, not just in America, all over the world. All over the world. It's it's a pandemic, really. And you know what? That's why Shelly Winters dies. Because toxic toxic masculinity exists across the world. It can be anywhere, Jason. It's right in the top of the movie. Jason, you didn't invent toxic masculinity, okay? I thought I was the pioneer of toxic masculinity. (laughs) And here I find out all these international toxic males are doing it as well. (laughs) The International Toxic Males Consortium. Uh, I got to go to that conference more often. <laughs> I haven't read the newsletter in weeks. Truly, I'm out of touch. Yeah, I got to revoke my uh, board membership. <laughs> <laughs> and thematically yeah, toxic producer Jason. 
Yes, enigmatic no. and toxic producer Jason. Okay, guys, just to be fair, Jason is the one good man. We should clarify on that yeah. point. Yeah, no, anyone, as, as we must. To anyone listening, justice for Jason, he is the one good man. <laughs> As we, well, I, and I also don't want to go too f- no. so far as justice for Jason. <laughs> acting as though I have any um, nope. um, gripes or no. Nope. Uh, Jason is perfect. No, one, <laughs> no one dig up any dirt on Jason. He's perfect and unimpeachable. Yeah. So don't Look. don't slip, Jason, because now now the people are now the people are watching. All I'm saying is things are fine for Jason. Jason doesn't get <laughs> justice. Jason's okay. He doesn't have gripes. He doesn't have good. gripes. <laughs> I'd like to think, Jason, that all your other podcasts is like, Jason gets to just sit there and be normal and quiet and do his producer role. <laughs> and then our podcast, he's like, fuck, what are they going to say this week that I'm going to have to jump in and be like, please don't drag me into this. Yeah, My role, yeah. My role in every podcast is very different week to week. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. Anyway, <laughs> Jordan, what do you think this movie is about? I mean, I have to, I have to, I have to take it out of the story itself and say this movie is about d- fucking disrespect of Shelley Winters. Yeah. Like this movie, I, I this movie is about how Shelley Winters was apparently only was apparently best seen as best used as a fucking martyr in the 1970s. And like, you know what? Shelley Winters, she's not 20 anymore. So let's just keep killing her in movies. Like, I am so mad that like fucking Ava Gardner gets to be an amazing lush and like have her ratings coup. And at the end she's like, now I could use that drink. It's like, don't act like you stopped drinking today, Ava Gardner. And the producer's like, I'm buying. Cause you know, everybody's enabling everybody. And this is a, this is a, a, a dangerous workplace, <laughs> but like Poseidon adventure, this, like you're going to put Shelly in harm's way to save to save everybody in the case of Poseidon or save one evil man in the case of this movie. And she can't just live. Like she can't just live to tell about it. Like what, why the fuck not? Why, why, why not? What is this? Like, and I think that this can become a larger commentary on this is about ageism and how if you are Diana and you are a slim uh, you know, by the book, beautiful woman who has two rich men competing over her, then you get to live to the end of the story. But if you're Shelley Winters, who's a little bit older and who is not so not so wraith like in a in a in a little in a little you know dainty dress, then you get to be you know you get to be thrown on the pile for like as our sacrificial lamb and. It is just like it, it's not. It's obviously not hag exploitation, but like that's what hag exploitation is based on. It's like let's take these aging actresses and they're you know, Bette Davis. The latter part of her career is her leaning into genre because that's where she could get work. Because we can take old women when they're grotesque. We can take old women when they're objects of horror. And in the case of Shelley Winters, we can take them when they keep you know maternally sacrificing their lives for our survival. But we can't just like let them be the head of the hospital. We can't let them win the day. And there are incremental moves toward remedying that. But at the same time, you know, we may not be sacrificing the Shelley Winters of the Hollywood so explicitly <laughs> in film anymore, but damn, we have got a long way to go before we are actually letting these women in the primes of different parts of their career that could be playing just different characters. Like having their Glenn Close, Glenn Close playing the, the, the wife moment 
of, I mean, Glenn Close is going to do amazing work till she fucking dies. Like, she's incredible. She's a legend. She's one of the best of all time. But, like, to have a movie actually about being a woman and getting older and what that means and the weight of the world and the cost of it, there are so many goddamn stories we could tell about that. But instead, we just keep killing Shelley Winters. That's what we just keep doing. <laughs> and I've had enough of us killing Shelley Winters. <laughs> Which is not not part of toxic masculinity. <laughs> I, I love everything that you just went through uh, oh on that God. journey, Jordan. And yes, <laughs> stop killing Shelly Winters. Stop killing Shelly Winters. Agreed. A hundred percent. A very niche disaster diva slogan. <laughs> I, that, I'm adding that to my list of, of one day when we have merch. Stop killing Shelly Winters. It's going to be. Stop killing Shelly Winters. Stop killing Shelly Winters is added. Where's my li- my merch thing? Because that's got to be added. I want to attend a premiere one day and on the step and repeat, just have a long drapey tee that says stop killing Shelly Winters. Okay. Well, when we eventually, when we're one day allowed to gather again in, in theaters <laughs> and we can have our disaster diva like screening marathon. Yeah, co-hosted by Paul Feig, friend exactly. of Paul Feig. We can, w- Paul Feig will wear a suit that I imagine will be emblazoned with the same message tastefully. Maybe on the lining of his suit, I would imagine. So yeah, he opens up. A nice little phantom thread. Yeah, he opens up the suit jacket and then like there's a pink silk with Stop Killing Shelly Winters written all over it. I want like the horrible Melania coat that says, I don't care to you, but that just says stop killing Shelly Winters. <laughs> I like that we're each going to wear it in our own unique ways. <laughs> yeah. Like really enjoy that we're all going to, we're just going to take that slow. Cause I'll probably just be wearing jeans and that as a shirt, um, a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. and maybe my converse and- will say that on the back. I don't know. Yeah. I do need everyone to understand that as soon as we're able to go to movie theaters again, I will not be anywhere but the movie like i will be in the movie theater for at least a month straight that's that's like i I, i'm gonna digress a bit and be like you know people like oh is this wb announcement where surprise in case you haven't heard they're gonna throw all of their major all of their major it's like 17 21 or 17 movies 17 um of 2021 onto hbo max streaming for a month upon their release where theaters are open so you can stream or if you can go to a theater go to a theater um it's like is this the death of movie theaters this death movie theater listen the movie theater was dying the theatrical experience need to be reimagined and if international like multinational conglomerates like amc and regal who do the least anyway to provide like an awesome movie going experience are further threatened. Well, then I guess they have to get better. Um, But Mm -hmm. the thing is, I don't think that if when, when we can say quote, when this ends, I don't think people are going to be clamoring to stay in their homes for a while. And I know people who are at the point where they would go to the theater to see movies. I would see in a theater. Yeah. Which is like not most they will see fucking anything in a theater right now that like doesn't have Mel Gibson just yep. to be in a movie theater again. Well, and we know that at the beginning of like theaters being safe to go into again, toward the beginning, those first few weeks, they're just going to be like stuffing them full with all of the movies that ended up not being released in theaters for this. That's last the thing, year. because you know they I mean? wouldn't like, have paid for like. They they if movies that haven't paid for theatrical distrib- like exhibition, yeah. they're just going to do it later. And the thing is, folks, I will be watching Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day uh, on yeah. HBO Max. And then if eight, if Wonder Woman 1984 lands in a theater next September, mm-hmm. I'm going. Yeah, I am not not seeing Dune yep. on the biggest screen possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not fucking. That's not happening. Like whatever happens with No Time to Die, I don't know why they don't just commit that movie to like December of next year already. Like whatever happens in that movie, if I watch it on streaming, 
I'm going to go see it in a theater. I'm yeah. not settling for Anna de Armas less than 30 feet tall. <laughs> so yeah, I think Blade Runner 2049 really spoiled us on the um, size that Anna de Armas can be. You are absolutely right. Giant <laughs> Anna de Armas only. <laughs> Gigantic Anna de Armas only. Yeah, we really, our expectations for how big Anna de Armas should be at any <laughs> yes, given moment just, are wildly distorted by that movie. I'm just fully yeah, imagining her as the, the as the 30-foot-tall woman, like, just stomping through town, but still doing her, like, Ben Affleck pose and repeats. Like, I, she's still, I learned this she's, week that the portmanteau is banana. Banana, oh yeah, do you know, it, it, oh my god, who I weeklies, hadn't, I hadn't heard. who weeklies I hadn't banana heard. updates are fantastic. They have a whole, <laughs> they have a, a whole song for, B A N. N-A-S. Uh, oh, my God. have a whole song about it? So, wow. <laughs> sometimes wearing masks. I just, it delights me. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, so uh, yeah, I, Jordan, I, I threw a song. You, oh, it, I actually, during that whole thing, bought tickets to that dinosaur adventure thing that I saw on my Instagram. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, it was like, well, go they're going to talk about seeing movies in theaters. I can just check out of this conversation for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, Amanda's going to go see dinosaurs at the Rose Bowl. In I'm going to go see dinosaurs at the Rose Bowl. So yeah, which is like exactly what you should yeah, be doing. Yeah, but That's I will perfect. also, I mean, I don't see movies in theaters anyway, so they're more likely, like, I'm going to actually probably see more movies now that it's on HBO than I would have otherwise. So go, good job, well, guys. And But it's hey, important hey, to Jordan? know that accessibility, accessibility super matters. And yeah. the fact that immunocompromised people are going to have to be a lot more cautious about wading back into the world, even at a vaccine context. Those people should be allowed to see movies. People who are health compromised should be allowed to see movies. I follow people who a couple of disabled would, critics yeah. online and they're like, well, I guess I never get to go back because I, I cannot do this safely. So for that, yeah. That's getting really closed captioning on your TV versus having to. Yeah, there's any number of different ways that this becomes really great and accessible. But Jordan, yeah, I want to get us back on track. So we're running real. We're running yeah. a little long here on this. And I much okay. as I love City on Fire, I don't think we need to be an hour and a half on City on Fire. Um, That's true. How are you fantasy casting this one? Fucking Shelly Winters and everything. <laughs> because it's the only it's it's the only reparations I can think of that I need. I feel like I want I want Robert. I, I want to keep the, I like I like Henry Fonda where he is. I want Robert Forster as the head doctor. Oh, okay. I want to make I want to make Robert Forster the head doctor. Oh, that would be so much more likable. I would be totally. I would drink right. his smoothie like, any I'm, day. I'm so into that, and like I love. That's so suggestive. I I know. Um, but like it should like it meant to be. It was just like it, it was like it really it hit me like a couple of seconds later how truly vivid that, that was as a case. <laughs> Um, and Leslie Nielsen's so good at being a bad guy. This, this cast is really doing well. I, the only, like, and the, and the creepy guy was so good at being a certain kind of creepy that like he, I don't like whatever that guy, that actor was doing was very effective and un unsettling. Like he just, he felt very much like a sex pest. He felt very much like a, a constant threat in ways you can't specifically tell someone like, I'm worried this guy's going to do this specific thing, but you're like, that guy's a danger and I'm a woman and I just know that. So get rid of him. Like, I can't tell you, I need to minority report this guy. And like, I need you to pre-crime him out of here. Like he's, he's too scared. Yeah. And so it's, it's building up the Shelly Winters role. It's kind of having Shelly be the tag team of Diana. Like, yes. I want them to kind of have, like, I want that nurse to, I want Shelly Winters' nurse to be present for the birthing of the baby with Diana there. Like, I want them to kind of become a duo and they're like the ladies getting it done. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to make, I'm going to make Robert Forster the head doctor. Uh, and that's going to be my main thing. 
But otherwise, love Nielsen. Ava Gart, untouchable. Oh my God. Like, you, you can't take her out of that role. Can't take her out of that role. And yeah, so I, I feel good about it. I, I, I like this era's casting, but that's who I'm throwing Yeah, I, I definitely think a lot of this movie, if we were having to remake it, a lot of it to me would be like kind of rewriting and figuring. This would not be necessarily a one-to-one like, oh, we're just going to take the exact same script. It needs work. So yeah, agreed. I like. I wanted by the end of this, I wanted Nurse Harper to be like kind of punch Diana on the shoulder and be like, you'd make a pretty good doctor yourself. And Diana exactly. would go on to totally. like go to medical school. I wanted Diana to go to medical school at the end of this. <laughs> like, finding, I mean, a new, a nurse, yeah, finding her new purpose because like she's realized she's she's realized she's meant for more than just being the wife of successful men like i yeah. wanted that for her um so i'm gonna bring this up to the 21st century because we've okay, talked yeah. a lot about wanting to do like a star-studded like we need more of these kind of ensemble disaster films so i kind of cast it accordingly um so diana's gonna be margot robbie because like you need a woman oh, who every man is gonna be like um, targeting her me. targeting me specifically also. yeah that but also like she's one who uh, can go from being like stunningly gorgeous to like okay I'm gonna pull my hair up into a bun and oh, yeah. I'm gonna birth this fucking baby and give this man who has like mucus in his mouth CPR incredibly dynamic performer Margaret yeah Robbie. so she can do it so uh, firefighter and fire so the fire chief and then the fire captain the dad is gonna be Danny Glover because okay. like we need a gra- like somebody who has that kind of gravitas, and then Michael B. Jordan in a much bigger role will be the yeah. fire captain. Because I felt like we needed more from the fire de- fighters, and we didn't yeah. get a lot. Yeah. So I would do like a Michael uh-huh. B. Jordan for that because he's pretty. Um, and then obviously Nurse Harper, we're going to reanimate Shelley Winters and give her a much bigger role. Yes, like that's it. Yes. That's just what it is. Um, like I also had uh, Felicia Richard. Before, but I was like, no, okay. let's just let's not even because I was like, well, you know, she kind of gives a similar feeling where you're like, yay, her. And you have a lot of like warm, fuzzy feelings from Cosby show and all that. But like, no, we're just going to reanimate Shelly Winters in this case because justice for Shelly yeah. Winters. Um, newscaster Michelle Pfeiffer is taking on the Ava Gardner role. Oh, like yeah, that weird, that sexy, crazy also will probably have a great <laughs> time doing this and also seem a little dangerous and can turn on the dime. Yeah. Like, I love all of it. So we're going to do that. Um but she's definitely going to be deployed in the field more. Um, okay. And maybe at one point have a flirtation with Michael B. Jordan, the firefighter. <laughs> um, the mayor. He, he would he'd be so lucky. He would be so lucky. The mayor will be John Hamm. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. Like even as I was watching Leslie Nielsen, I was like, I could see John Hamm with that face. Like this is the same. They they have similar feelings. Uh, brassy woman in giving labor will be Mila Kunis. <laughs> as a bad mom yeah just just like she also just has that sort of like i could see her saying a baby being born in a hallway would be illegitimate um yeah oh yeah sure toxic masculinity pyromaniac could be go one of two ways it could be evan peters uh it really, really could. could be evan peters it really or could. we could just kill him real early on and make a mansell elgort yep uh he has Creep. He's that creep he, energy. Super creep. Creep entitled energy. And it'd be a little bit less like yeah. of the benign creep energy and a little bit more like he could at any moment just stab her with the scissors. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, for the doctor, that was a real struggle. And you got to rewrite the character entirely. Um, but it's going to become Will Smith. Because we, I mean, you, it, Will Smith, yeah. you, who, who, else can open, who else can open a summer blockbuster with a cast like that? Yeah. <laughs> very, honestly, very few. Yeah. People. And so we'll reunite him with Margot. Um, and let them like, but it won't be quite as, he won't be a, a lech. Their movie, and because their movie focus yeah. is so much fun. Watch the uh, caper comedy 
sexy movie focus starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Did not expect that to be so satisfying. So yeah, that's who that's who we're, that's who I'm doing if I'm bringing this up to the 21st century. Um, but completely overhauling that fucking script, and it's gonna be longer than an hour and 45 minutes because, like, and we. Uh, we don't maybe need that fire in the beginning because that was yeah the fire in the beginning is a it, it's a it's a false it's start. a false start and there's so much it's, we could have spent so much more time with nurse yeah, with, with Shelly Shelly it's just an anti smoking campaign so there we go that's where I am so Jordan how many towering infernos are you giving this you know I want to give it more but the Shelly Winters death absolutely I want to give this three point five but I'm giving it a three. Yeah, I, I I feel very warmly about this movie in in what it was able to create with a sense of disaster scale and 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 believability. I do think it overall as a movie is a higher than a three ranking, but I'm sorry, there 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 are repercussions for killing Shelley Winters, so I'm capping you at a three. Yeah, yeah, I I was gonna go like a three and a quarter. It was like uh, you know what I, I got to do three and a half just because. As much as the Shelly, it probably would have been higher for me because of the fire, but you're right, the Shelly uh-huh. Wintersness of it does bring it down to three and a half for me. But man, yeah, like I do, I want to give this. I want to, yeah, I do. Too, I, yeah, it was to me one of my favorite claustrophobic, constant in peril disaster experiences we've we've done. Yeah. I, there was a best use of fire that we've seen, even more like up there with to me up there with Towering Inferno in its use of fire as a menacing force. Yes. Um, and I liked that it was brief. I liked the time we we spent, but I just that fuck you. You it, that that's your that's your punishment. Only three for me. Yeah, I agreed. So that's where we are. That's where we land with our towering infernos for this film. Sorry, probably shouldn't have killed Shelly Winters like that, guys. You shouldn't have killed Shelly Winters. Stop killing Shelly Winters. <laughs> and uh, so next week we've got an exciting one. We have with us a uh, another guest host. Well, yes. yes, we'll be joined by Jada Elcock. Who do we call them guest hosts or just guests? Guests, I don't know. Guests, I don't know. I was just I I'm like trying to figure out in my own head what I what I'm. I guess they're what guests. I'm calling them because I keep calling them guests. I've always said guest, but you know I don't. I'm I'm agnostic. I just like I. I guess I guess if if one of you is gone, then maybe they're a guest. Yeah, host. that's yeah, oh, that yeah, makes sense. Fair. Okay, so they're guests. We, we have next week. We have another guest. I apologize for my for my incorrect phrasing on this. Okay, no, I was just in my head. I was just like, wait, what am I trying to figure out here? No, that's a reasonable question, and I'm just as I often do using words that I don't know what they mean. Um, <laughs> hey, it happens. So next week, that's my entire. We've life. got a guest, and that is an exciting one. We've got Jada Elcock. Who she is a um, shark grad student who is a <laughs> co-founder of Minorities in Shark Sciences, Miss, and awesome. uh, does fantastic TikTok videos where she talks super fast about um, about like animal facts. They're really they're really <laughs> great, and uh, she will be joining us to talk about the Meg. Hell I'm, yeah! I'm really looking forward to that because I I want to have a fun discussion about the Meg because the Meg in progress of watching it. Um, it was not as exciting of a movie as I wanted. Really? It to be. Okay. Mm. Like, yeah. Like, I, I, I had a good. I, I will always enjoy Jason Statham, but mm-hmm. the movie itself was like, wait a minute, why is a shark movie with Jason Statham not making me feel a thrill a minute? Uh, so I will be very happy to talk to someone who's actually a shark specialist. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I just, I, I'm just hoping if I will, if if it, if he doesn't punch a shark in the face then it's losing three towering infernos from me. I'm just going to put that out there right now. 
You know what's crazy <laughs> to me, and I won't tangent us too far, but on the Jason Statham topic, it is insane to me that he managed to make a bunch of movies that shifted Fast and Furious toward their own tone. Like, like yes. he made like the Crank and Transporter movies and stuff, which then caused Fast and Furious to go toward that tone, which then, as soon as those other Jason Statham movies started losing steam, he was just able to jump over to the franchise that started Incredible. imitating his franchises. Incredible. That's amazing. I mean, the... The power of the stave. It's undeniable. Which is why him and Rosie Huntington-Whitley, possibly my favorite celebrity couple. And I mean, hey, he can't lose a fight, so. (laughs) He cannot lose a fight, and he's won the day with Rosie Huntington-Whitley by his side. (laughs) What a Uh, pair, especially since he's not like an especially tall man, and she definitely is taller than him. Sexual (laughs) height differences. Hell yeah. Well, you know, he can just get on an apple box to to kiss her. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jordan, Um, where can we find... Oh, we've got reviews. Oh, okay. We have got reviews. Uh, And and as I mentioned last week, uh, we are now uh, in the first sort of uh, zone of reviews where we are hitting uh, COVID times. So this is going to be our first international review that we missed out on that came uh, during the time of COVID. Uh, this is a five-star review uh, from the Philippines. Uh, it was user uh, Lin Yuan uh, who says, A Perspective Shift in Experiencing Disaster Movies uh, is the title. All it says, right. In this podcast, you can find yourself experiencing disaster films on a whole different perspective. Hearing your favorite genre discu- being discussed with much enthusiasm and energy, you can actually enjoy them all over again. Jordan's energy in discussing metaphorical allegories and Amanda's, yeah, that happened, pointing out moments <laughs> are my experience highlights with the occasional cameo of the enigmatic Jason. These two hosts reignited my love for this genre and took lesser known films as they present themselves, which is strange for me, but very interesting at the same time. This review is so much longer than I thought it was. been a fan <laughs> for a long time on Twitter, so I am sorry this took so long before I made an official review. I'm shy like that. But now I'm making a stand and not just for wanting Jason's black hair to be released. Oh, man, this is way back then. Uh, <laughs> but for the glory of our Lord and Savior Muja, and for the glory of Helen Hunt's hair, the overarching wonder of the Agent Maggie Grace extended universe, and of course the tagline of self confidence and self worth, Apex Predator Baby. That is right all day. More pr- power to you guys. Supportive as always, K. That was fantastic. What a tribute. Thank what you. What a Kay. tribute. That was that is an insanely good review. That is uh, that the you that should That's be a, a think listener piece. right there. That's a yeah. listener. Yeah, the deep cuts. I, lo- all I was gonna say loved all the deep cuts. Loved all the specific yeah. in jokes. Yeah, because what's the point of having a podcast if you don't end up with really weird little in jokes? <laughs> It's true. Exactly. Um, okay, here's another one out of Great Britain. Uh, title is Show Good. They gave, a f- uh, gave us five stars, and this is Accurate. from Of Alice. Um, I was originally pointed in the Disaster Divas direction from Amanda's Twitter and have been a huge fan ever since, eagerly anticipating the inevitable Godzilla review-a-thon. <laughs> That's I, I mean, good. I anticipate that as well. I'm really looking forward to when we do Shin Godzilla particularly. Hell yeah. Um, and I'll do I'll do one more and then we'll uh, wrap up the show. This one is from uh, it's out of Germany from the user Pangalactics or Pangalactics. There we go. Uh, Disaster Diva with the little uh, devil horns emoji next to it. Five stars. One of those podcasts that I have to listen to immediately. Fun, insightful, always a pleasure. And we trust implicitly that you support the preservation of Shelley Winters, too. So thank you. Hell yes. <laughs> 
All right. Well, that is uh, uh, the the next review we'll have next week is out of Australia, down under, uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll we'll read that next week. I'm terribly sorry, Miss uh, Whoever's uh, terribly sorry, Australia. Yeah. Uh, does that continent. take us to our sign off, Senator? Yes. Now it does. it does. Okay. All right, Jordan. So, where can we find? Where can the people? Where can the people be found? These people. You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru J O R C R U, and Patreon at patreoncom cruciola. And hit up the new uh, Ots Tyrion podcast where me and uh, my friend, the filmmaker Sam Weinman, uh, talk about why Millennium Era horror movies belong in the Criterion Collection. Hell yeah. All right. And then Jason, what about you? Uh, y'all can find me at Jason Halftones on any uh, social platform. Uh, you should also check out, uh, if you want to listen to more podcasts that are uh, fun and interesting and, and I don't know, something, uh, go to thatmightbecool.com. We've got uh, shows like uh, Best Pictures, where uh, four hosts uh, try to uh, redo the Oscars every year that they've been alive and uh, find the best movie of their life. Um, <laughs> that's a really fun show. Uh, comic Book Workshop, if you're curious about the craft of making comics, you can listen to that. But go to thatmightbecool.com. You can find some fun shows. Um, yeah, that's that's my plug for the week. All right. I like that. And then you can find me. I'm Amanda R. Tubbs on Twitter. That's Tubbs with two Bs. Two Bs. Two Bs. And uh, that's just where I am. Occasionally I post on – I have a. I have like another account called uh, Dashboard Geology where I post like videos that are basically me talking about my rock collection. But that's oh, that's yeah. really not a thing I do regularly or a thing you particularly need to watch. Um, But yeah, and then of course, interact with us on Twitter. We're disaster underscore pod. Um, We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com and we're disastergirls on Letterboxd. Hell yeah. We're all everywhere. We are taking over the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Which in its own way would be a disaster movie we would cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a disaster it's going to be real fucking meta texture. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, please, guys, rate and review, subscribe, share us on Twitter, share us with friends and family, buy billboards, speaking our good word, yeah, whatever. Just like really get out yep. there. Show your disaster diva pride. Yes. Where, and long live, long live and Shelley long Winters. Live Winters. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you all back next week for the Meg. Oh, the Meg you can find. Um, it's rentable on streaming services. It's also on TBS right now. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's going to be a complete or edited version. I imagine it'll be edited for TV, but you can also rent it um, on wherever your streaming service of choice is. Yes. All right. And we'll see y'all back next week. Bye, Bye. everybody. That might be cool.com. You never know.